0: Hi there. Welcome to current state number two. My guest this time is Jean Claude Thompson from If Music in London. If Music's a record shop and he has a long history of being the man in the know in and around various record shops in London. And he is also one half of the amalgamation of sounds. In these interviews we ask various people how they feel about the current state of the music industry and music in general. Current state number one is mr scruff and if you want to listen to that you can go back to soundcloud.com forward slash six foot stereo and find that but this time i'd like to welcome jean claude
1: hi my name is jean claude i am the proud owner of independent record store if music in soho london
0: as always i like to start with a question
1: where did it all begin for him well my earliest conscious and subconscious recollection has got to be of an al- is an album by jimmy smith called the cat which was produced by uh, i think was it produced by Lala shifrin it was written by Lala shifrin i was born in 62 that album came out in 64 and that album is up there is one of the most important albums for me because it was obviously being played around the house while I was in the pram and uh, in my cot or whatever. And you know, mum and dad had, you know, when they had their house parties in the 60s, that album was definitely playing. Because by the time I'm old enough to even walk and talk, uh, that album, it's the cover as well, of course. Um, it's a red, 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 red album cover with this most beautiful out of focus black cat. And being a cat lover, and the fact that it was a jazz album with this huge sound, it was massive. If you, if you listen to that album, it's absolutely phenomenal production. And that that is, yeah, that is the first record where I was really aware of music that wasn't anything to do with Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse and the Chipmunks, you know, kiddie music. It was very, very different. But of course, I'm, I don't know, what, four or five years of age by the time I actually realise what this album is. So I've got no concept that, you know, I'm listening to Donald Duck and then I'm listening to Jimmy Smith the Cat. in my you know it's in the it's in my dna dad was a, f- a photojournalist and had worked with a lot of musicians over the years and actors and 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 had done a lot he'd done quite a few album covers and did a lot of um uh, magazine covers etc etc Mum was very cultured so she was into classical music hollywood musicals and of course liked her pop music story goes that i bought my first record at the age of six when mum asked me over christmas what would you like and i apparently said i want my own record player mummy and I want to be able to buy my own music so every Friday with the weekly shopping we would go to either Harlequin record well we lived in Hampstead so the record shops there were Harlequin or you went to Woolies if you couldn't afford the really expensive imports there was always something in Woolies that you could pick up including 7 inches and some weird compilations Um, and it was always yeah I mean I look back I've still got some of those records at home and I look back at them and I can't believe they're jazz (laughs) they're Hollywood musicals and there's soul like you know the OJ's Marvin Gaye early Tam- Tamla Motown records yeah and that kind of takes me to the age of 13 14 dark side of the moon Marvin Gaye's I want you going to school in the sixth form we had our own turntable and we used to bring records in the daytime in in between um, breaks you got to remember in that period in the sixth form you could smoke I'm serious, you were 16, didn't have to wear uniform anymore. We had the sixth form common room and we were allowed to smoke. We were considered small adults and we could smoke legitimately on the school campus, but only there. And I think that's part of the culture to stop kids from smoking at the back of the bike shed, because of course that's what they would do, right? So yeah, six, 15 and a half, 16, sixth form common room, a bit of Marvin Gaye, and a Siggy.
0: So I was interested to find out at what point
1: does a casual interest in music become something more than that? Well, fashion and music always worked hand in hand for me. Um, And so I was kind of dabbling in both for for years. And then um, a club I used to frequent every Thursday called Bootleggers, just here on Margaret Street. I just remembered I got thrown out of a club for dancing too much and too crazily on the dance floor because of course the whole dance floor would clear and it was you know you know we're talking post Saturday night fever period so serious moves were going on and I remember (laughs) I can't remember it's a Saturday night fucking club is packed and me and my crew were on the dance floor and we were just giving it giving it and literally I could just see the bouncers walking down the stairs and like guys out. You're distressing some of our VIP patron. Ah, like, oh, come on, dude! This is what the da- dancing's for. Anyhow, so I used to be a regular in lots and lots of clubs around London: Monk Breeze, Main Squeeze, uh, the Wag, uh, or Whiskey Go Go, as it was called then. Val um, Valbon, yeah. I mean, there were amazing, amazing clubs in London. I have to say, especially in the West End. And uh, I was one night in this club. It's uh, where are we now? We're early mid 80s, and I'm, it's a Thursday night. Get there quite early. One of the brothers brings me into the restaurant and says, oh, "Nana Nana has quit. their DJ. He's gone to a better. He's gone to a better gig, and we haven't got time." To get another DJ, can you help us out? I'm, I'm not a DJ. Yeah, I mean, I've got music. I know music, and yeah, I've done pop. But I'm not a DJ. You know, DJs are very—it's a very serious thing. You know, used to look up to the DJs and revere them. You know, this is all pre-internet, so it's a very different dynamic. You know, DJs are literally—they're gods. Clubs back then that had residencies, DJs were residents six nights a week in these clubs, and clubs used to buy the records. The records were theirs. You would get a budget and you would go to the record shops every day and you buy records, you give the bill to the boss and he give you the money back and the club would end up having the, a lovely catalog of records. Of course, you buy your own records as well and give them the bill. <laughs> but you'll know, you, you hear from many DJs of my generation that this was this was, this was was the norm. I knew how to play records, but I didn't know how to mix. You know. Um, And it was yeah that was it was a very I can still see it was a very frightening I mean uh, you know first night I was nervous as hell the night before I couldn't sleep couldn't couldn't I was really nervous the whole day Um, butterflies you know running to the toilet constantly 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 Uh, evening came went to the gig. Uh, they showed me how the decks worked, the mixer, the reel-to-reel, because they had a reel-to-reel. We also were responsible for the video walls, so we had amazing VHS tapes, and we play all sorts of tapes that, you know, sort of complemented the venue. They got the reel-to-reel, got two turntables, all these records, and off we went. And yeah, learning process, as it is still, you know, I'm still learning. But it just never stopped learning. Well you see there were two two schools of thought back then, people like myself who were obsessed with music revered DJs and we literally, they were gods to us. And then there was the other side, my mother's generation, who thought being a DJ was like being a drug dealer or a pimp, it was not a proper job. God bless him. my mum on her deathbed said to me darling get a proper job before it's too late. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've put out albums and she's very proud of me. But in her mind's eye, still, it was not a proper job. And it's, you know, th- there's that old uh, expression don't put your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Worthington. It's not. Because, of course, it's not a life. It's way too up and down, there's way too many inconsistencies, and it's very fickle, and you're at the behest of fads and trends. So, I've been DJing for nearly 40 years. I'm not considered a hip, trendy DJ.
2: So
0: having spent many years a DJ. I was interested to find out how he made his move into production.
1: So I've been DJing and we're doing raves and the Summer of Love 88-89 which was fantastic and a friend of mine called Woody who was working for EMI SPK I think it was, um, liked my taste in music and how I put things together and said you'd make a really good producer, you know. I'm like, oh man, I, can't, I can barely play the glockenspiel. I mean, that's what, you know. No, 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 trust me. I'm going to take you into the studio. You don't have to worry about anything. We'll pay for the studio. I'm going to give you an engineer and see what you come up with. And it's a learning process. And even then, funny enough, it was my first ever foray in a studio. And even then I got in a guitarist. A saxophonist and a double bass player to f- fill up the bits that I needed. To- even then, it was always going to be a question of sampling something, but you need a live musician to make this work. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm not a programmer, even to this day. I'm not an I'm not a- an engineer. I'm not a programmer. I- All the other bits I can do, but that was the one thing I couldn't do. They gave me this really good engineer. We tried a few things. Nothing really happened. But again, you just it just It's just a natural progression. I mean, a a, a DJ with any balls in those days ended up becoming a producer. None of us are musicians. We we, we make our music purely with the understanding that, man, this is going to work. Because you know what works, because you've been a DJ for so long, you know the kind of tunes that you love to play. They inspire you, you don't copy them, but you get inspired by them and, you know, off you go. Mark was my, for- was my engineering foil, technically a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant engineer. We worked really well together for years and years and years. Um, then when, uh, in 2002, things started to change in the scene. technology as in in the box started to be the way forward. record labels were closing by the droves distributors were closing by the droves so there was no more money to get you know to get paid to do remixes there was no more money to get advances which is how you'd finish your you know uh, I'll give you an example so our first EP was on filter in 1995 96 four track EP played Ross the cassette. He gave us, let's say, fifteen hundred quid advance to finish. So that fifteen hundred pounds gave us enough money to rent a proper studio with a, you know, with a decent Fairlight desk, with a, a two-inch multi-track recorder. And you'd bring in a musician, let's say, John Zaradin, the classical guitarist, or Roger Beaujolais, the famous vibes player. They'd lay a, they'd lay some tracks down. He'd piss off. Then we would mix it down. And. The advances and the money that was coming in would pay for that I remember you know we would get maybe 1500 quid to do a remix but we'd spend 700 of it in the studio and on a a musician to you know to finish it off properly and that all dried up so Mark and I by 2008 I think the last remix we worked on together was 2008 That was it. We were pretty much done. We went our separate ways. He's a dentist, a very successful dentist. And yeah, I'm in this for the good times. And unfortunately, the bad times as well. You know, this is this is this is what I do. good times were fantastic we traveled all over the world together and we've done some amazing gigs including um headlining in the dance village at glastonbury in 2005 we had an 11 year uh, residency at fabric from the night it opened for 11 years onwards you know 20 years playing every month The plastic people we had a good time together but um You know, like I said, he's a dentist, and he went down the dentistry route. I had already the shot by then, and so I couldn't, just because things had started to go really bad, I couldn't turn my back on something that I'd invested so much of my time
0: So I was very interested in finding out how someone who's been a DJ, and later on a producer, and had a very successful career, opens a record shop.
1: Uh, I used to work at an amazing shop called Release the Groove, and um, which was owned by the crew that had uh, Catch a Groove before that. Um, Catch a Groove, I was uh, one of the hardcore customers, you know. I was one of those guys that w- used to sit out the back rather than having to sit at the front, and was treated always very well by Abby. And then uh, that went belly up, and then um, Gary Dillon got together with Abby and said, "Let's, let's, I'll, I'll fund the shop, and you run it like you had Catch a Groove, but you know, and we'll call it Release the Groove." And we opened Release the Groove in 1995. And I ran what was called the Jazz Lounge. So 1995, you're talking everything. Drum and bass. The first Eureka Badu 12. Um, the first Most Def 12, you know. Um, I, I, the Masters at Work box sets. Eureka U- 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 Re- New Eureka console. Box sets. Um, King Brit at his height. Um, you know, LTJ Bookham used to live in the shop. Fabio, all the big drum and bass DJ. So it was, a, it was drum and bass. Deep jazz, moody man, ty- uh, jazz, moody man house, you know, that type of house. Uh, like I said, hip hop. So Spinner used to be, whenever he was in town, he practically lived there. And it, that just carried on till 2002. Things started to change. I said, I'm out of here. And within six months, we opened uh, If Music. If Music.
0: So we got to the current state, which is after all the title of the interview and what I'm interested in finding out about. And he started off talking about what it means to own a shop selling records
1: in 2017. You've got a business, you've got a shop, small independent shop. You've got the rent to pay, you've got the rates to pay, you've got the staff to pay, the electricity to pay. And you can't compete against the Amazons of this world, or I'm not gonna mention any, I'm not gonna give them free advertising, but all the online platforms, be it for clothing, be it for interiors, be it for records, be it for art materials. No physical shop can compete with those guys. So it's not a level playing field. Go internet only then. You know, we sell albums for £2. We sell albums for £2,000. Now, the guy who's going to spend £2,000, he's less likely to want to buy it on the net. He's wanna, He's going to want to walk into the shop and see it before he buys it. I love people coming in. I love that guy who walks in has no idea. Well, no, in fact, turn it all around. I love that guy who comes in He's got a specific record in mind but ends up leaving that because he's found better records it happened last saturday a guy came in for a particular album walked out 500 pounds of records he said you know what i don't really need that i was just going to buy it because you know everyone's talking about it but i found so much better. and that is lovely and the newbie who walks in <clears throat> excuse me the newbie who walks in and has absolutely no, and he gets all red and intimidated, you know, because he's really nervous. Uh, <laughs> oh, Bubba, um, and walks in. He doesn't really know what to expect. You know, we greet him, we make him feel comfortable, and we know he hasn't got he hasn't got hundreds of pounds, but he'll go in the bargain bin and he'll pull out an amazing record that just happens to be in the bargain bin, and that I love. And you can't get that on the internet. Plus, the internet, you can't... When you buy a record on the internet, you've got to pretty much know what you're looking for because it's... there isn't an algorithm that can recommend you a record. They do, they do write them, but there's the human element. And the human element is that minute you walk into the shop and we meet each other, and I love that. And, but it is frustrating, and it is frustrating that we can be a whole day without anyone walking in. Um, But then again, we're in a very unique position. We only need one good customer to walk in and the the week can be done. Um, It it is hard. And I I feel for everybody that is in retail at the moment, it's really, really, really difficult. You know, and they're about to double our rates in some cases. So will we survive? I don't know. You know, I'll do everything I can to stay in business. But it it is, they, they are making it harder and harder.
0: And of course, it would be impossible to talk about retail and not talk about Brexit and the effect that could
1: have on a small independent retailer. Uh, 98% of all our records come from abroad. They come from Europe, they come from America, they come from as far as Southeast Asia. But the European thing is the big one. So the records are pressed in Germany, the label might be from Holland, so all of a sudden if we're out of Europe, does that mean we're going to start paying another 20% on top? Will it become to a point where we just are pricing ourselves out of business? So it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting time. Certainly, to, if there was no internet and everyone left their houses and went record shopping physically to the shops, it would be a very, very different dynamic. And things possibly could carry on.
0: So another thing I'm interested in is either artistically or in retail or in whatever your chosen profession is these days how do you how do you set your base point how do you stand out from everybody
1: else you know we we sell all types of music here but obviously for us jazz is the base and if you look at look at a pyramid we're at the bottom and it's all about jazz and then we filter upwards so we sell hip-hop we sell house techno disco boogie weird shit like I um, warp. you know whatever whatever but the essence it's still it's drip fed reggae but it's all drip fed from the bass which is jazz so from our musical perspective only purely musical now, I'm not talking about sales, but from a musical perspective, it has not been this good in decades. Because Jazz Baby is on fire! You've got Torben Unit, you've got Kolakuta, you've got the Idris, um, you've got the Pyra- Idris and the Pyramids, you've got um, Moses Boyd, Kamazi Washington, uh, you have Yusuf Kamal, Shabaka Hutchins, incredible artists doing incredible things and selling really really good units you know they say that more people are buying records they sold a million vinyl the year before last yeah but Led Zeppelin Fleetwood Mac reissues David Bowie reissues and I and I love all these artists I'm not dissing the artists but how many Led Zeppelin reissues you know they just reissued Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon for the hundredth time why spend spend that money spend that time on a new artist that can give you that you know sign some of these jazz artists go on I dare you go on do it why not they're selling they're filling up venues I mean, Kamazi Washington and Gregory Porter are two of the biggest selling acts in the last couple of years. And they are two big black guys performing jazz music. It's not any other type of music, it's not jazz dressed up as something else, it's jazz.
0: So, of course, if we talk about the current state, it only seems natural then to talk about what the future holds, what he would like to see,
1: what he thinks might happen. The future, it's very difficult, you know, I mean, I'm trying not to be a cynical old bastard, but it's very difficult. stay positive and of course you have to stay positive because positivity breeds positivity Positives breeds good light if you're negative you're going to bring too much negative around you but it is very 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 difficult at the moment our governments are seriously fucking us up and it's affecting culture and art in a positive way because as as with punk as with soul music with vietnam war back in the 70s some of the best music is written because our governments let us down So from a weird sort of perspective, let the governments carry on screwing us over because out of it will come amazing art and out of it will come amazing because in spite of our governments, we will carry on creating. We're in London. I don't know how it is down in Brighton, but in London, I mean, the amount of homeless people we see on the streets. I mean, I spend half my time going home each day in in pretty much in floods of tears because there for the grace of god go any of us that could happen everyone when i say this my friends go that'll never happen to you because no dude it could happen it could happen to you it could happen to me as strong a character as i have as a strong will i have as tenacious as i am certain things could happen and the cards could fall all at the same time and before you know it you've got no more money you haven't got a job, you've been an artist, I'm using myself as an example, I've been an artist for 30 years so, you know, my national insurance contributions are probably not the world's greatest. So all of a sudden I get my pension and it's 20 quid a week and there's no housing benefit. So on 20 quid a week, guess where I am? I'm living on the goddamn street. So this is really upsetting. And, you know, all the great musicians we have around, you know, from Katie Tempest to other artists, they they write and they're talking about this and it's very frustrating. But because of these terrible things, people like Katie Tempest are writing amazing music. And again, you know, they, they feel the pain of the throb of the city, so they write amazing music. I wish pop music would stop this whole bling thing and just give that, give all that up. Just give it up. It's done already. This is not a tap. This is not a time to be investing in bling culture. This is the time in investing in artists that really have got something to say and are saying it. And we need to write political songs. We need to write about love. We do not write, need to write about Maybachs and gold Rolexes. And Miguel did this and that. We don't need nobody we've had enough of that. Nobody needs to hear that anymore. They you know we we need to speak up for those that can't speak up for themselves. I mean let's be honest. It's always been argued which is the greatest art form. But now with the technology we have, undoubtedly it's music. Because you can DJ, well, I'm using it as a DJ's perspective i can dj to 40,000 people from all you know they're all from different parts of the world i can play a record they've never heard before and they'll all lose their mind at exactly the same time but doesn't necessarily work with a painting because if you're into abstract expressionism but you don't like realism or you don't like cubism but you're into pop art then it all becomes very really individual it's what you like but with music you can cover right across the board And the power to the shared experience. And then remember, I drop a tune, you all go mad, I react as a DJ. I play another tune, you go mad, I react. And then all of a sudden, it's this beautiful, fluid game of the most beautiful game of ping pong. It's like in slow mo you know ping pong but in slow motion and you can you know and then you see that guy in the audience ten thousand people down the line you can see him and he loses his mind and you can see him or that you know there's people at the front row just mesmerized by the music and what you're trying to do and, and they get it and i get that they get it and then we just keep going backwards and forwards and back and forth and that speaks absolute volumes and it's a beautiful yeah like you said the shared experience is probably the most Important thing and for me as a DJ and for you guys as the consumer, yeah it can't be faulted.
0: And I was also interested from someone who's worn so many hats and been in the, around the industry for a long time and seen its ups and downs and possibly sees a slightly more difficult future than due to his position running a shop. I wanted to know Does he have any advice for people setting out in the industry?
1: If you do it because you have to do it, if you do it because it's so deep in your blood that you actually think you could go mad if you don't do it, if you do it not thinking about money, if you do it not thinking about huge amounts of success, but you've just got to do this, do it. Stay at home for as long as you can if your parents can help you out because that's the only help you're going to get. You know, you've got a roof over your head. And do it, but do it for all the right reasons. Don't, don't do it for the success because you could be sorely disappointed. It'll make you very jaded. And then the shit you're putting out, people are going to... They can tell that you're doing it for the money. So, yeah, I mean, keeping it real compared to what? Absolutely. But in this day and age, yeah, don't take up space cluttering up the system with crap... Art crap music because there's some poor kid out there who's amazing and you're in his way so do it for the same reason as that poor kid he has just you've got to do it you can't sleep because you've got to create
0: is in his role as running a shop he gets to put together compilation albums of which over the last four years he's put out five albums the latest being Deep Jazz Volume 2 came out a few weeks ago on BBE and I was quite interested to find out what sets this compilation head and shoulders above the rest
1: Deep Jazz Volume 2 well if any of you have got Volume 1 forget Volume 1 Volume 1 was rubbish now I'm being I'm being silly uh, Deep Jazz yeah I mean it's it, it's a continuation of the you know I did three comps on my label with Ninja um, and this is just a, a, a sort of jump off from there Um Deep jazz series is, as it says on the packet, it's it's about deep jazz. So stepping away as far away from the mainstream as possible. Doing the research for the compilation series, I realised that nobody had ever put these tracks on comps. I was like, why? As Patrick forces, yeah, they're 20 minutes long, man. I'm not playing a 20 minute long track on my radio show yeah but why not these musicians have completed from start to finish an amazing painting of music the fact that it's 20 minutes long shouldn't really have a bearing and all the tracks on volume 1 and volume 2 I have played them out I played them in plastic I've played them in other places and they do work you've just got to allow them to do their thing and just let them you know they constantly evolve these tracks you know the Billy Bangs on volume 2 is 13 and a half minutes long it's an amazing dance floor groover um, and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds into this huge crescendo over a 15 minute period so put it on go outside smoke a spliff come back 10 minutes later and watch your dance floor rock and um, you know that's that's the idea of deep jazz it's not about Putting, i mean i've written in the liner notes but it's not about the rarest most obscure records it's records that have been forgotten and records that work they do the job and i'm hoping that people get as much joy out of discovering them as i have compiling and having played these records for way too long and
0: with that we were just about done There's only one thing left to do is to say thank you to Jean-Claude. Thanks for lending me his time.
1: Thank you, Chris. And thanks for your listeners having patience to listen to me rambling on. Um, Yeah, it's been lovely. And thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'd like to come back again sometime soon. Thank you. So again,
0: I just want to say thanks to Jean-Claude for the time he's given me to uh, produce this interview and the care and attention that he's shown for it too. If you find yourself needing some new records and you don't know what to get then I would suggest paying him a visit up in If Music on Darblay Street in Soho. It's on the second floor of an office building, so you need to look for the sandwich board outside. But you'll find all the directions you need on ifmusic.co.uk. I want to thank him as well for uh, taking the time to get to know me over the years find out what I'm into and to help introduce me to a massive stack of influences that I don't think I'd have found if he hadn't bothered. You could say that's his role as a man in a record shop. But I think he goes beyond that. First time I met him. I sat in his shop for four hours and we were chatting about life and death and music and family and all these different things. And that is what sets him apart from most record shops I've ever been in. So if you're into your music, or you like uh, some of the tracks you've heard on the bed for this interview. All the tracks on this interview have come from one of his compilation albums So either If Music Was 10, If Music 2.0, If Music 3.0 Deep Jazz Volume 1 or Deep Jazz Volume 2 Then uh, it's quite literally a small portion of the great music you'll find in his shop but I highly recommend it And I'd also like to thank you for listening If you can share this on social media or just tell your friends about it, it'd be very much appreciated. So last time was Mr. Scruff. And next time will be Fred Deakin from Lemon Jelly, of which you'll find on my weekly show on onebrightonfm.co.uk or you can listen again via my SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com forward slash six foot stereo. So yeah, thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it and hope to catch you again soon.